Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the Performance Matters podcast sponsored by GP Strategies, the world's leading talent transformation organization. I'm your host, Michael Teal. And if you're new to the podcast, I want to say welcome. Every other week, we tackle a topic related to how learning and development drives real-world performance. We'd love it if you'd give us a follow and share your feedback on your preferred podcast platform. Now, besides the honor of hosting this podcast and gaining invaluable insight from so many industry thought leaders, I'm approaching the conclusion of my third year here at GP Strategies as a creative director. And I would say this without question during this time, the topic of how to leverage AI in practical ways within an enterprise has grown exponentially in size, interest, and importance. And there's absolutely no doubt about that. So today I'm thrilled to be joined in the virtual studio by two AI thought leaders to hear their perspectives on four ways to harness AI in your enterprise. Making her debut performance on the Performance Matters podcast is Sanchita Sir. She is the CEO of Mplay, the number one autonomous sales and service platform. So for those that are unaware, Mplay builds cutting edge AI applications that tackle unsolved problems in the domains of decision AI, knowledge AI, recommendation AI, and conversational AI. And um, doing a little research on this before we had Sanchita on, I was pretty impressed with the fact that their platform is already integrated into known players such as Microsoft Teams, Cisco WebEx, Slack, WhatsApp, Salesforce, SAP, ServiceNow, Zendesk, Workforce, and Oracle, among others. Woo! <laughs> you guys have been busy, Sanchita. Thank you for coming and sharing your time and insight on this afternoon. We appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Thank you. Well, this was a big get. We're honored to have you. Um, as you can see, we're pretty blown away with what you're doing at Mplay, so we look forward to hearing and really just gaining your insight as we unpack this topic. And I would be remiss without saying that you're not alone here. You're joined by longtime friend of the Performance Matters podcast, Matt Donovan. And he might be blushing here, but Matt is the Chief Learning and Innovation Officer at GP Strategies. He has been actively involved in the GP Strategies perspective on the role that AI, and I would say this can and should play in organizations, including most recently speaking on the topic at the ATD and Training Industry Annual Conferences. Matt, we appreciate you taking your time today. How are you, sir? Doing well. It's always a good day when I get the opportunity to uh, hang out with Sanchita and talk about AI. So it's always a good time. This is thing for full disclosure. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. Sanchita and I are both Pacific, so our day is starting to wrap up. Matt's day is already wrapped up, so he's gracious enough to join us when it's about dinner time. So if you hear children stomping through and Matt uh, telling them to get off coffee tables, you'll know why. We have a lot to talk about. Again, the topic today is four ways to harness AI in your enterprise. And since I know you both are actively living this world, what I wanted to do is just start this out with a 
really more of a question of what's happening out there. So Sanchita, I'm going to start this with you as the first time guest. What are the most common questions or comments you're hearing about AI as it pertains to our world, which is the learning and development industry? So I'm curious about what you're hearing as you're having conversations. Mike, uh, with the generative AI coming in, every company is going to be a generative AI company. When we were talking about AI in general, the only components or parts of the organization that were getting impacted were the data science company, uh, data science department, and some few other departments. But with generative AI, right, from marketing to sales to learning to customer support to engineering and every other constituents in a company is going to be impacted by generative AI. And so the first order of business for LD teams is to ramp up the organization and employees on generative AI concepts, tools, and then ensure that they are being responsibly used to not jeopardize the company. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. For example, I'm a golf nut, right? And I'll hear that something's been designed with AI, but it seemed kind of like really far off. And then lately in the past year with generative AI, now it's like it's there for the layperson. Is that what we're hearing? That is right. Yes. Okay. So now, Matt, one thing I know that I've had the luxury and the honor of listening to you quite a bit over the past year. Sanchita touched on a topic I know you're passionate about, and that's responsible AI. So unpack a little bit about what she was saying about that. What are some of the things that we need to think about when it comes to being responsible with generative AI? Well, I mean, I think, you know, for a lot of organizations, as they are starting to become more familiar with what it can do, how to be safe with it, but we don't know exactly what all the applications are going to be inside the organizations and how they're going to use them. So the guidelines help us make ethical decisions around the use of AI as it unfolds. And so thinking about, you know, how we're using the data, how we're sharing the information. I think one of them is being able to say, like, you know, just because we can do something with the tool doesn't mean we should do it. So, for example, hmm. I've seen a rise of a lot of folks starting to use generative AI plus some other types of analytics coming in and looking at AI-driven coaching platforms. And let's say I'm going to hook it up. It's going to come in and it's going to look at my team meeting and it's going to evaluate me and say, you know, how good is Matt at really engaging the participants? And it's going to look at the transcript. It's going to look at what they're saying. It may look at their facial reactions to myself. It may be listening to my voice. And then it's going to come back with an assessment. It's going to tell me how well or poorly I did on things. Now, the question is, what do you do with that data? If that data is hmm. used for me as the individual to get better, it's one thing. If the organization uses it says, well, Matt's not very good. He's not very good at engaging his partners or his teammates. We need to let Matt go or not give him a raise or not give him a bonus. The question is, that's an application that I would say is not necessarily bore out by the evidence to say, to be able to do that. Now, I may gain insights and feedback as an individual performer, but that's an example of just because we can doesn't mean we always should do it. Or as we employ these tools, we need to be able to pass along the message of saying, here's how it's intended to be used. Here's the guidelines or how we, we recommend it is used, but don't use it for that, use it for this. So I think these help us really set when we don't know what the actual interaction is or the impact, the guiding principles really help us sort through that. And having those put in place ahead of time before you've come up with all the applications, the invention, it just helps you apply that rubric mm. as you're going forward. So again, I think it's really a critical first step as we start to do this. Okay, so establishing guardrails are there along with what 
you were saying, Sanchita, is like, listen, we need to get staff oriented to this, thinking about using creative ways to use AI, but obviously within a set of responsible guardrails there. So I think that's a nice tee into the main crux of what we were going to talk about today with that caveat, which is what are some of the ways that you're seeing organizations leverage AI to solve problems? And by that, I mean business objectives and things. So I love your insight because I know you've been so active in this world. What are you seeing in that way, Sanchita? Sure. The topic of AI could be very overwhelming and their applications could be really <laughs> varied. So what I like to do is I just broke it down into four different components. One, okay. you can use AI to respond. You can also use AI to recommend. You can use AI to go ahead and render various deliverables and tasks. And you can also use AI to resolve. So the four R's of AI, as I put it. Four R's, okay. Are you going to have a book on this one? I'm curious. That has a ring to it right there. I like that. Yeah, if Matt partners with me, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, can't you use AI to make the book, Sanchita? I mean, come on now. (laughs) That's totally under. Okay, so let's double back on that. You said the four ways, respond, recommend, render, and resolve. Okay, so that's a lot of juice for us to squeeze out of the AI fruit today here. So let's start with respond. What are some of the things that you're seeing of AI Mm -hmm. bringing practical value to organizations? So when AI is to respond to user queries, earlier it was just retrieval, knowledge retrieval. You ask a question and how accurately I can get you answers. And classical Google kind of scenarios where all that you're looking for is high relevance, high accuracy, and low latency responses. However, with generative AI, that has changed. It's no more retrieval, but it's retrieval augmented generative output, which means uh, we just don't need a bunch of search results. What we want is can you consume all the search results and give an answer? So in L&D, it could be learning in the flow of work where you are looking for answers while you're working. But in the support world, it could actually be formulating responses to tickets that are being raised that Mm. could go to the customer or be agent assistive. The other thing is it's not just about knowledge retrieval and knowledge generation, but it can also be used for knowledge capture. Because when the answers are not there in documentation, there should be a mechanism for questions to be escalated to the right SMEs. And when the SMEs respond, the Q&A pair is put back into the index so that you have a living, breathing, growing body of knowledge in the organization. That sounds like a snowball almost, right? As you're combining no knowledge, then you're getting some of that tacit knowledge layered in it. And then pretty soon you've got a, a pretty strong response mechanism right there. So Matt, from your side, I'm going to couch this like you're our crossing guard today. So you're the AI crossing guard. Put your response to this, put up your sign. What are some of the things that we need to be thinking about um, in terms of this very exciting response snowball? You know, I think it's a good way to bring it in. Let me kind of throw another one out here, another example that shows a different cross section and how I might bring some of those crossing elements into it. One of the things organizations really struggle with is having really good, consistent, high-quality manager-to-employee conversations. The performance Mm -hmm. development conversation, 
It's always difficult in organizations to get done. So if our goal or task is say, let's have really consistently people have them and they complete them. And they're actually really focused on good, insightful conversations that drive performance. So we think about that is how would I begin to apply AI using those four R's as we kind of go through it. So let's say, for example, like in our company, we do quarterly performance reviews. And so it starts off and it says, my personalized AI agent is, says, hey, Matt, I see that you do not have a performance conversation set with Tom. Tom reports to me, uh, would you like me to get something on the book? So we can go through our calendars because it has access to both of that data. It can help put a calendar on the meeting and says, hey, look for openings, Matt and Tom, performance hmm. conversation. It can then go out and go and say, here's the last, you say we're in the third quarter, it'll go out to the second quarter, it'll pull the data, say, here's what your last conversation was. It'll look at it and it'll summarize what was there and said, here were the key things you talked about being able to achieve that. It prepares it as me, as the manager, to go in. At the same time, it prepares a summary for Tom to say, Tom, remember these were the key points you talked about last time. What are some opportunities? Can you collect and share back? So Tom would have the opportunity to respond and then be able to share and it expands on my manager dossier with it. At the same time, as the manager getting ready for the conversation, it says here are three or four really great resources on having a great performance conversation. Don't forget the seven-step checklist that we have in the organization, but here are some new things coming out with thought leaders. Are there any areas that you would like me to go find additional information on? It goes out and it pulls new information for us. At the same time with Tom, hey, Tom, here's how a thing from an employee standpoint to get the most out of a conversation. Is there anything you would like? So it's helping both sides of the conversation to prepare for a really great conversation between Tom and myself. We now have new data new insights to bring to a conversation. So we're not just walking into a cold meeting like, why are we here? What have we been doing? I can't remember. Right. I'm so busy. We actually are better prepared to have a really good conversation. So now the AI bot is also able to actually listen and we're able to kind of have a transcript of the meeting. We're able to go back and forth. Tom and I have our conversation. At the end of it, the bot is able to come back and summarize. Here's what I thought the conversation was. Here were the key points may even recommend based on what we heard as you were outlining some. Now, here's the key. As the human, myself and Tom, we would actually review this and validate. It's not an automatic, boom, it's done. I've documented it and file it. Right. It allows us to have a follow-up conversation coming out of that. And what we then can say, all right, out of that piece, it says, okay, we added and we kind of crafted. Tom and I agree with it. The bot can then make sure that it gets filed appropriately in the HR systems. But what hmm. then after our meeting, it can then flip into the nudge position between us. Tom and I could have set up a recommendation on saying, here's how what we think our follow-ups are. Let's do a check-in two weeks from now on this, check in on the status of that. And then the bot can actually look at and promote and be aware of maybe what Tom is working on, what I'm working on, capture some of that it's, data um... in preparation for the next one. So <laughs> the goal is to have better meetings better prepared for a great conversation. And the idea is to be able to consistently have it. So it's remove barriers because the biggest challenge is I couldn't find time. I didn't get it on the calendar. I didn't go get the materials. I didn't document it. All that extra stuff that gets in the way of having a good conversation. Now Tom and I can have a really good conversation, cover and impact what he needs, his elements, and what the AI is enabling us to do really well is bring in data patterns or things that we're looking at that we just don't have insights for. 
So that's one of the things. So if like, for example, let's say one of the things I kind of learned, which was like a productivity tip that's come from big data is I actually got a productivity coach that shared to me and said, Matt, one of the patterns we're seeing is that your calendar fills up two and a half weeks in advance. I was doing time management where I was trying to block my calendar a week, a week out in advance. What it had was actually a year's worth of data to look at the patterns in my life of which I had no visibility. And with one data point, I was able to actually start to better control and get in front of my calendar, affecting my productivity. Now, imagine you apply that type of productivity to say, Tom's like, I can't seem to get enough time. I'm not able to do this. Well, let's look at what we're seeing from data wise. Can you actually draw insights from large pieces of data? It sounds like you've thought about this a little bit, I mean, quite frankly. You actually slid really nicely into the second R, which is recommend. But I want to double back here, Sanchita, on the respond concept, because it sounds like Matt was mentioning quite a bit of one very powerful use case, which is not just responding and finding knowledge, but also lifting up or empowering a manager and a direct report to have a more productive relationship. Is that something that you're finding in practice just on the respond element? Yes. So first of all, I just loved what Matt said, because the recommendation, if you see, he has talked about four different types of recommendations. And I'm going to come back to respond, but I just wanted to summarize, because we are talking about, we call it the ICAP model. You recommend insights, you recommend content, you recommend actions, and you recommend people. Because that he is getting booked two and a half weeks in advance is an insight. What he does with it is an action recommendation. And to follow through the action, here's some content that can help you. And if the content is not there, here are some people who can help you. So that hmm. covers the loop of recommendations. And while that is the recommendation output, what we are doing is from the input, there are multiple sources of inputs that can come in. In sales, it could be highly transactional. We can look into data and say, hey, here is a salesperson. He's not meeting quota because his deal sizes are very small. Here is a guy who is not prospecting enough. And there's another lady out there who's not closing enough. So we can use ML models to identify the patterns of transactional gaps or skill gaps that they have and be able to recommend the right insights, action people, and content recommendation for them. Whereas what Matt was saying is being able to find those insights from content and conversations, so not transaction and structured data, but unstructured data and patterns, and be able to provide recommendation. So it's very powerful that we can put together for performance management. But from a response point of view, when people ask a question, if a manager needs some tips to have a crucial conversation with an employee, at that point of time, they don't need training. So when they ask, they are trying to get a response, hey, how to talk to someone in a performance situation, you don't want a bunch of training out there. You don't have the time. So the response right. should be now a formulated answer that you find deep within documents. And we specifically have abilities not only to find answers from deep within documents, but from videos, data, and mm. HTML as well. <laughs> so you can get answers. And here's a two-hour video. Watch the video from the 15th minute. Your answer is here. By the way, here is a formulated answer. That so is just in time. And, you know, yeah. quite frankly, just to put a little plug in for mPlay, that was one of the 
things that prompted me to say, Sanchita, we need to have you on here because I've seen some of the demonstrations and my head was exploding with just the possibilities here of furthering an organization just on respond, right? We're on the first of four ways right now. Just that magic of being able to put in a query and not just get no shot to Google. They've been very successful, right? <laughs> you know, but you know, 20 years ago, that was amazing to get a bunch of hot links, but now you're coming back with contextual answers and that's amazing. And like you said, if you can go to the 15th minute versus having to ask someone to scrub through that to get the answer on how to uh, create a pivot table, then it's a good day, right? So <laughs> that's great. Okay. So we got to respect everyone's time here. The second way to utilize AI to solve problems using the patented Sanchita Sur method is recommend. So talk to us a little bit about recommend from your perspective. How is AI powering that Sanchita? So as uh, Matt already covered the insight recommendation, content action, and people recommendation, but it's important to understand what goes behind a recommendation engine. There are three components. You diagnose, you predict, and you prescribe. So it's very important to first get the data points to diagnose. It's garbage in, garbage out. So it's very important that any recommendation algorithm is running on highly scrubbed and clean data. And therefore, whether it is sales transactions, it is conversations, or it is feedback, all of them are coming together in the context and it's highly, highly accurate. So which is why that is where AI can also play a part to go clean the data to ensure that you're not getting recommendations that are out of context and not accurate. Because once mm. you get pinged with not so relevant information, people start turning off. So that's very important. The other part of recommendation engines at this point of time is people are not really looking for recommendation of just training. They are looking for recommendations of actions. Earlier, they were usually coded applications that would spew out actions. You know, it's a lookup table, but now no more. So through generative AI, we are able to come up with actions. And I'm going to give you a quick example. To build on Matt's topic of performance, right. if I go ahead and ask a bunch of people, you know, can you give me some feedback that you can actually get the chatbot to go ahead and find people who you're working with automatically and go ahead and say, hey, do you have time to give feedback to Sanchita? And when the feedback comes in, there's a bunch of feedback that I have to go through. Not only have to go through them, I have to assimilate them convert them into actions, and then ensure that I have some action items on my card and I follow through. AI can really make this really simple. And now we are going to a little bit of rendering or generative AI here, where generative AI can summarize all the feedback, extract the salient skills that I need to improve, rate my skills against my peers who are getting similar feedback, and say, here is an action item, improve the skill, and here are some training recommendation and people who can help you. So this whole heavy lifting, just mm. because it was work, people were not doing the work. So even if it is 90% accurate, because they are all probabilistic models, even if it's 90% accurate, it's still a start. And then, as Matt said, the notifications to keep reminding you to act is also very important. And I will say this from looking at your website, that hits home where you indicate on your homepage, it says 70% of digital transformations fail. And I think that's what you're talking about, right? Is when you still have all that heavy lifting, you can have a new HR system and have all this, but the fact is you have somebody who's very busy 
And then you're asking them to do this other lift of a lot of scrubbing and a lot of thinking and a lot of quadrant two time to use the old Stephen Covey element is it unfortunately starts to fall by the wayside, but you can bring in some recommendation AI to do that and then bring up elements that I think aligned right there with Matt. This is where the light bulbs, I think, start going off for people for sure on that side. Now, one thing you had also mentioned there is that concept of garbage in and garbage out is that you have to have good data on that side. And the other thing I wanna ask is when it comes to feeding data in, I know that's been one of the areas we've had some conversations on is just some cautionary tales on that. So what, Matt, do individuals and enterprises need to be thinking about before they start thinking about training AI? Like what needs to be in place from a protection and data security standpoint? I think it's two elements. One is, and oddly enough, there's two sizes. First one is, is that we need to look beyond the black box. I know that people want to look at AI as this automagic solution that's going to fix everything beginning to end. It's just going to take over and it's going to do what I expect it to be able to do. In the, and there's a lot of trust and faith in that. So when it comes to being able that we expose it to the data that we have, the personal information that we have, we have to understand more about how it can be used, how it's generating the outputs based off the data we give it, how it's being protected, where it's being stored, who has access to it. And that's the hard part is that because most of the, if you look at the neural nets or the LLMs on the back end, they're the big black boxes that are on the other side. <laughs> One of the things I've been trying to drive more advocacy for is that it's on the providers of these engines that they're actually providing us more insights. Where did you get that information? It's never going to be clear and transparent. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes, but help us know where you got things. I mean, the simplest example that we may see is if you look out at Bing, if you put something in versus ChatGPT, if you put it in, it'll actually come back with referential sources of here's where I pulled it and it'll pop out a mark. It's a starting point to say, I've generatively created something for you and here's where I got it from. So being able to map that data is it. So we have to get beyond the assumption that one of them is that it's always doing it as we would expect it or anticipate it to. So we need to be able to map back to it. Don't just trust it on one side. But the other one is, is that if you think of the LLMs or these tools as engines, fuel is the data that fires that engine. And if you have bad hmm. fuel, you're going to have the tool never be able to do what it needs to. A lot of folks are say, well, just go create a big data lake, dump a bunch of data in it, point the machine at it, and it's going to just do this. And that's not the reality. The humans need to be there to be able to help structure the data, <laughs> make some sense of it. It can work with unstructured data, but not what we're trying to do. In order to get good, very pointed applications to it, we need to have good, clean data on the back end. And I think that's really where a lot of folks are going to come into some interesting realizations about the quality of their data. Most organizations, I don't think, realize the condition that some of their data is <laughs> inside the organization. Probably looks like my daughter's bedroom, probably. Well, you know, you do a little search inside your company and everybody complains <laughs> and their company's search is horrible. And it comes back with, I'm trying to find the SOPs from this year and it brings back everything from <laughs> 1974 because it's out there. And it's like, then I got to go through because it didn't match it exactly. That's just a bad example of what could happen right. if you don't help set up the rules. And I love, Sanchita, you talked a lot about setting up the constitutionality, setting guidelines to help sort and make sense of it, because you're not going to be able to truly, truly structure everything, but you make it easier and you give it better guidances on how to make discriminations in the data. So long answer to that, but I think the two things are 
check our myth that it's an automatic solution. Don't make assumptions that you just point okay. at the data and it's good to go. One of the questions I guess I would have more from the layperson, you know, for example, putting data into something like in play versus the open ocean chat GTP that you can go to. How do I know when it's safe to feed enterprise data into something? It's like to quote Zoolander, how do I get the files in the computer? How do I know it's safe? So talk a little bit about that. Cause I think that's a big question out there for people. So let me just take security, privacy, and accuracy all together in the generative okay. AI world. Whether it is chat GPT, GPT in general, or it is Claude and all of those massive large language models, they are all API driven. So which means content will be processed. It will go out to an open API. But at the same time, it will also take in the context data. Who's asking this question? And what kind of data is, metadata is associated with that person, with that question, with question history and context, et cetera, because these models have great memory and they're able to store memory and context really well. Okay. So people do have two options. You can go into Azure, Google APIs, even Bedrock, AWS, Bedrock, et cetera, but make sure that you have those contracts that say zero day retention, completely private, you're not going to use the data for your training, et cetera. But it is anyone's guess. The really large companies get sued all the time, but they can pay their way off. But we don't know this animal yet. For people who are extremely sensitive, they're taking one step forward and two steps back and not being able to decide, they're just deliberating. You also have commercially downloadable model options available, like Llama okay. 2 and 70B and Falcon, et cetera, which you can deploy behind your firewall, your data, your context data, everything is safe. There's no API connection outside. The only thing is they are GPU hungry, which means you have to figure out how to spend on GPUs, but then there are optimization models that we use all the time to ensure that either your token count in the open world or your GPU consumption in the closed world is optimized. So that's the first thing. So people have options. So people who are sitting on the fence and deliberating, it's better to do than deliberate. And you have those private model options too. The second is all of these models, as Matt mentioned, you need to have those knowledge maps. Whatever I'm getting, where is the source of truth? So to have those okay. reference points, to be able to go back to the original document, we can actually take you to even the page and the paragraph and the segment, <laughs> but you are able to get a reference of truth so that you know where it is coming from. The third most important thing is any large language model that you can prompt is open to injection attacks, which means, as you know, one of the Stanford University students, they went ahead and prompted Bing model in a way that Bing was able to give out that my code name is Sydney and these are the constitution models or ethical AI models that are there. So you can trick a model to following the instructions because they're all instruct uh, GPT based models. So they can follow instructions. And so it is also important for companies who are exposing these models to the outside organization, customer organization. They should only be allowed to query and let someone in between sit and prompt rather than the customers directly trying to prompt. 
So that is going to be really important that you're able to safeguard yourself mm. with SQL injection attacks. And then finally, as Matt mentioned, it is not just important to teach the model what to do, but also what not to do. Have those constitutional mm. models that will prevent any offensive information coming out or any kind of restricted information, price information, people information. And what we also realized when we were implementing some of these models is they have great internal memory. So even if you have not fed it with your enterprise content, it remembers what it has been trained on in the larger internet. So while you are, say, a retail company selling shoes, you can say, who's the CEO of Microsoft? And it'll answer. But it's not supposed <laughs> to answer in your organization. So we had to stop and instruct that do not respond with your internal memory and restrict all kinds of PII data to come out. Wow. There's a lot to this, that's for sure. But either way, what you're saying is instead of sitting and waiting, you've got options, right? You can have private enterprise ones or you can have more of the open ocean ones, but have metadata restrictions on it and things like that. And I think you're kind of actually answering some questions that we'll have after this conversation, which is there's still a lot of human involvement in this. There's a lot of professional work to be done in this world. So for me, that's re reassuring. But back to our four topics here, we're going to move on to number three. So far, though, for those that are just jumping in after um, a commercial break or something like that, we've had four different ways to harness AI in your enterprise. We've touched upon respond, which is more the learning and the flow of work. We've hit on the concept of AI being a recommendation engine. So really analyzing data and bringing back quality answers for you. The third one is one I'm really interested in here, Sanchita, and that was render. So usually when I think of render, I think of glue factories, quite frankly. I'm sure you weren't thinking of that in terms of AI. So what do you mean by render? The render is rendering any task. So generative AI is able to do all kinds of natural language processing oriented tasks. It can summarize, it can compose, it can evaluate, it can translate, and it can even do tasks like AutoGPT tasks, right? You know, research an account, then write an email, then go ahead and put that information into the CRM, make API calls, and then go ahead and report to the manager. So all of these cascading tasks, if it is set up in a way with the right context, it can hyper-automate mm -hmm. uh, processes. And that is where the real importance out here is, because when you hyper-automate, you don't know where it is failing, because everything is happening in volume. So it is really important, while it's a very exciting idea that you can do any of those tasks, you need to now have what we do is an alternate model that's evaluating every output. And mm. even if it is the evaluation model is built on a different model than the execution model, and the evaluation model is tighter and has lesser tolerance, it can stop some of those toll gates, stop those activities in the toll gates and help evaluate. So it's very important that while you can train it to generate a lot of content, it, you can train it to do a lot of tasks, you need to have, as Matt was saying, guardrails, but now you're really having guards. For instance, we are doing translations, but if there is a human involved, great, absolutely, we should have that. It's called the reinforcement learning through human feedback, RLHF, in the generative AI world. But you need to have human in the loop 
that's not optional at this time. But at the same time, even human in the loop, they will really start getting overwhelmed. So you need to have an AI companion also queuing and regressing through all of those toll gates to at least tell the human counterpart that these are high risk outputs. You need to test these first before you release. Interesting. So let me just ask a practical question when it comes to these human conversations. For example, within the learning and development or talent development world, what would be a practical example of render? How are you seeing that play out within this world? I will provide a very exciting example that we've come across and we've implemented. So the LND in my mind does these four things. First, needs analysis. Second is after you do the needs analysis, you get content and get all the research to write the content. Then you go ahead and create the content and then you deliver the content. Now, let me go ahead and give an example how the entire sure. thing can be rendered through generative AI. But then, of course, you need the guards and you need inputs from humans. So I'll give you an example of sales. So where is the need coming from? The biggest need sales people have is when they are stuck on a deal. So if I have a recommendation engine that first identifies which deals are a salesperson stuck in, and then say, hey, here is another guy who has sold a similar deal in the last 30 days. Do you want to chat with him? So first, I've identified the need. Second, I need content. So now I'm connecting the two and the best person who sold similar deals is now generating content and giving feedback as to how he won the deals, which competitors that they went against, what was the value proposition. So field is generating content. And now how do you deliver the content? You can go ahead and deliver right, you know, you DM the person who really needs help that, hey, here's some inputs. But now if so many people have started giving feedback on similar deals, now you can take all of them and generate learning content. Mm. And, okay, <laughs> all of these people are talking about talking to C-level executives. And now let's go ahead and summarize all the best practices and generate learning content. So all of these four things are happening autonomously. Uh, needs mm. analysis, content generation, content composition, and delivery all in the context of delivering to that need at that point of need. So you're saying on a very meat and potatoes level here, if I was an account executive, I might receive a ping or a, or a notification or a chat thread in one of the many things that we discussed, like a Salesforce, something like that. And it might actually be a proactive little note coming in saying, hey, it looks like you have an opportunity here with Acme Incorporated it would actually unpack a real-time recommendation or share some support or insight. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, absolutely. Pretty impressive. Matt, what's your perspective on this being more of our cautionary tale representative here today? What are some things that we need to be thinking about? I think what this gets down to is understanding the work that you're trying to do. Breaking down what are some of the key tasks we do? And as we look at that value chain, where does AI give us a force multiplier? And then we move the humans into the different position. But it really starts with understanding what the work is. If you don't understand what the work is, then you're just coming in and randomly applying AI. We have inflated expectations of what it can do, work out things that are challenges. I mean, one of the things that we're exploring and having a lot of really robust conversations is like the translation process. 
And machine-based translation has been out there. You go out to Google, pop a word in, and it comes back with it. But, you know, human translation already has an error rate that's with it. Native speakers in these areas, even if it was translation glossary, a lot of these things are still errors. But you still have to take a step back and look at what is the overall workflow. Where can AI help us, say, even get to... 80% faster. So then the humans can come in and add more value and get to hundred mm. percent rather than just saying, Hey, is it going to take all of it? What parts will it take? So unpacking, repacking, translating, how will that work across all the elements? And I think where I come back into this, it's not just an AI is this blanket layer that goes all over. You got to really understand what the workflow is and where the humans in the work will do that and be really open to the possibility of what AI can do, but also very cognizant of where its limitations are and where we need the human. The upside is people often ask me, especially in the L&D spaces, like AI going to take my job. And my answer is, well, it depends <laughs> on how you approach your job. There are things that are AI are good at. It is great at crunching through large amounts of data. It can generate things at scale, you know, put, you know, accurate answers out there, you know, assuming the, the set is good, you know, reducing errors and its flow through rate, it can actually do that. But when it comes to curiosity, creativity, critical thinking, adaptability, ethical judgment, AI is not good at that, but that forces humans to actually step into the promise of being a human. So if you do your job right. and you're not really critically thinking or being curious mm -hmm. or bringing creativity to it or, you know, problem solving, I would say you might be a little more worried than the other folks that are doing that other right. side. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And, you know, I think the word I'm going to take away from your end of it is force multiplier. I mean, everything that you both have described is AI has the chance to be a force multiplier, but that force starts with the humans, it starts with true knowledge of your industry. And then it's the going back to the snowball effect. There's so much there. You both have been so gracious with your time. We are on to the fourth way to harness AI on the, the patented Sanchita Sur method, and that is resolve. So let's unpack resolve here before we head off and sail off into the weekend here, Sanchita. So tell us about that one. So Resolve is not an answering machine, but a problem-solving machine, which then goes ahead and does a system task for you. So it could go ahead and call an API and actually execute an action. For instance, I'm not getting a learning topic here, but supposing you want to say, hey, I want to return my equipment. So it goes ahead and pings a Salesforce API, goes ahead and creates a ticket, it goes ahead and does the return. It goes to SAP and refunds, and it goes to ServiceNow and goes ahead and puts it into the knowledge base, right? So mm -hmm. what it is now doing is all the system actions that are happening can happen through conversations. So all that you have to do is I want to return. That is it. And three different processors would have done these tasks in three different systems traversing seven different screens and then forgetting a step and doing human errors. But now it's just happening together. I mean, in the performance management example, we often have like an HR system separate from the LMS system, separate from, you know, maybe the data that I had. And so the point is that that's one of the things is like all that stuff where I had to go and find to bring back and then bring from the disparate systems. I mean, that's where I think it's able to go through and kind of do all that behind the scenes between the platforms, you don't need me for that. We're getting very close to the whole Star Wars promise that we've had for 
uh, it's hard to say about 50 years now where your droids are doing some of these monotonous tasks for you and really helping you to quote Matt Donovan force multiply, I think. So may the force be with you. It sounds like <laughs> on this one here. So this is great. And I know Sanchita looking at the different solutions, we know that your organization, you have conversational AI, you have knowledge AI, you have generative AI, you've got recommendation AI. And as we've indicated, it's uh, integrated into almost any commercially viable platform that uh, someone would be used to in their daily workflow. So I'll end this with a couple of things here. From your perspectives, from an implementation, you've seen this implemented in many of the largest organizations in the world. What pieces are involved? What recommendations do you have for organizations that are saying, I want to take this next step? What are the things they need to be thinking about as they move boldly into this new world? I think it's very important to look at a high volume, high impact use case so that the true ROI can be realized. I think that's half the job done because you can have fancy projects and then you don't see an ROI and then you get disillusioned and then you have walked away from something that could be really important. So it's very important to identify a real problem and try to solve it. That's one. And the second okay. is, it's also very important that you have three phases of deployment. First being a POC, you prove the value, go into a pilot, have about 20 to 30% of the users use it, and then you go full production. So I think any kind of phased wise solution, because there are a lot of unknowns. So it's important to have the confidence and not go and hit the wall and then rebound. It's important to have those toll gates and verifications and then go full scale. That's sage advice right there. Matt, what are some closing thoughts you have on this topic of implementation? This is a change management effort, simple as that. We're changing culture, we're changing the work, we're changing how as humans we engage in with each other, with the work, with the bot. I mean, the future of productivity, and I'm redefining when I say workforce, I mean human plus bot as workforce, but it gets back to change management. We need to understand those good principles and what we're doing. I think it's an exciting time, but I think it's one in which we need to lean into it, really think about it. But those that actually will benefit from this are the ones that are really taking a hard look at what they do, how they do, and how we engage. So I'm positive on it. I'm learning something new every day. I will have to say that I'm absolutely humbled by the promise of four ways to harness AI. And the quick recap for our listeners is AI solves problems in four ways, responding, recommending, rendering in terms of having human conversations and resolving and actually helping you execute. So I will say that we're resolving this podcast. I know it was a heck of a time to get two busy professionals like yourself together. So thank you for carving out time on a Friday afternoon. On behalf of our global listening audience, I just wanna say thank you so much. We appreciate you both. Thank you, thank you, Mike. Thanks guys. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.